How many novels are you going through? Asked Jeff Van Drew, a Republican from New Jersey. I'm reading War and Peace next. I think I have the time, replied his companion, the Democrat Richard Neal of Massachusetts. I'm reading Dante's Inferno, Van Drew responded. That's how this is starting to feel. This was quoted in an article of the Times reporting on the election of the latest House Speaker. And, ladies and gentlemen, it was not going well. Welcome to the third episode of Politics. Short and informative updates on recent political developments. Welcome back to our host, Johnny Langton. And James Welder. And I'm Edwin Castell. Well, this week my topic is (laughs) the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Um, Shall we start with the basics? Let's go. Let's go, Ed. Give us the basics. Go for it. Both the UK Parliament and Congress have speakers in their chambers. Uh, In the United Kingdom, the House of Commons has a speaker. The Lords has one as well. And they are mainly there to shout. What do they shout, James? Order! If you're my That that was a John Burke. That was a John Burke order. Lovely impression of of a speaker maintaining order. Order! So in other words, they keep their own MPs in line. Um, They chair proceedings. They keep discipline within the chamber. Make sure discussions are going to plan. Um, Our current speaker, Lindsay Hoyle, seems to be generally doing a good job of being fairly political in politically impartial. So in the United Kingdom, a speaker is there to keep order but not to get involved in the fray of politics. Um, although his predecessor was John Burko. Either of you fans of him? Order. John Burko is um, incredibly controversial on the mainly on the conservative benches. I know he started off as a uh, right winger, mm. uh, quite far on the right, and then has since moved closer to the centre and now I believe as a Labour now he's a Labour member. member so I will yeah. refrain from any opinion yeah he um, I think John Burko is largely criticised for giving too much um, too much support or too much time to Remainers in the in the chamber is that correct yeah I, I, I think that's a good um, summary I mean he was famous as well for trying to increase the prominence of backbenchers and give them more time in in asking questions to the government. So, for example, in 2015 to 16, there were 77 requests for urgent questions that he granted. So that's where basically something's happened and an MP asked an urgent question for the minister to be hauled in and answer the parliament. So that seemed quite positive if you want backbenchers to be given more of a say in in holding the government to, to account. The issue he had yeah, was over Brexit and being seen to be far too sympathetic to the Remain side and trying to be a thorn in the government side during that difficult period when they're trying to get their um, Brexit deal through. And the other problem he had was bullying allegations. Oh, yeah. so he, was, mm. he was accused um, by many of being bullying to like these staff within the House of Commons. He struck me as someone who really liked the sound of his own voice. <laughs> really. <laughs> Chundering from a sedentary position was one of his, wasn't it? As uh, three uh, teachers here, I'm going to reserve judgment on, on criticising anyone for the sound. I, I mean, he he would say that he's up. He was upholding parliamentary sovereignty. You know, if we want to use a bit of AO1 terminology there, um, I, I thought you were going to add in there. No, I was just going to ask um, if Ed knows um, what the job of a speaker was originally. Has that changed much? Mm. Great question. That is a good question. I think the speaker, it's a very long standing position all the way from medieval times. 
and the speaker would be there again i think to chair the proceedings keep order uh, represent the chamber as a whole to an extent open the sessions uh, close the sessions essentially I, I believe on the monarch's behalf but also making the petitions to the monarch which you may well know a, bit, a little bit more about um uh, Johnny, with your uh, study of medieval history in the terms of your rival podcast or sister <laughs> podcast, the Kings and Queens. Uh, <laughs> oh, there it is. Three, Episode three. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the speaker, when they're elected, are traditionally dragged to the chair, aren't they? So this they was are. once a position that was far from coveted. It was a position which was dangerous because you were, I believe, at least a um, acted as a liaison between Parliament and uh, and the monarch and therefore left you between two powerful forces and I think that's why correct me if I'm wrong why the position ended up being quite dangerous it certainly did um, I think by now this is so if we bring it into contemporary politics this is a great example with the speaker of the medieval institutions having a huge long legacy right into the into the modern day and having to adapt to essentially a modern set of circumstances and with John Burke that may be in effect because as well as being the speaker and doing that public shouting of order order he is also has an hr involvement in other words he is responsible for the staff of the house of commons um, and leading them in in quite a, what is quite a modern institution now as well as a very old one so you've got that dual role it's a good example of our constitution emerging very slowly with many of these older elements having to adapt to changing times and if we look to the other side of the pond, of course, when Congress was set up, in many ways it was set up as opposed to the, you know, the United Kingdom's monarchy in, in terms of their revolution, but also very heavily influenced. Now, it's very heavily influenced by sort of classical thoughts, hence you've got a Senate maybe modelled more on Rome, and you've got their own uh, set of political circumstances that led to this House of Representatives and having a, a Senate. But elements as well, echoing and copying what, went on in the United Kingdom okay, and that link. So you've got two chambers, just like you have in, in Parliament. And for the House of Representatives, you've got a speaker. And that is where there is this big similarity. What is different, though, is just how political that role of a speaker actually is. So how does the role of a speaker compare to the British speaker? Um, and there isn't a speaker in the Senate, is it? It's only in the House of Representatives. No, you're absolutely right. In the Senate, the vice president uh, is essentially can preside over sessions. So if you look at the uh, the joint um, sessions of Congress, for example, the State of the Union, where the president addresses both chambers, you'll have the speaker of the House of Representatives on one side, and you'll have the vice president as a representative of the Senate on the other. But essentially what tends to happen in the Senate, there's only 100 senators, and the most senior senator in the proceeding will chair the meeting um, and call uh, and will recognise people, but that's about it. That is why that there, there are so fewer rules and, and um, senators can talk a long time and filibuster and all these tricks that some of our listeners may, may be aware about. It's because there is no authoritative speaker um, to, to chair proceedings. Isn't the isn't there a president pro tempore? Isn't the president isn't that basically tempore. the father of the house? The Essentially, I think he's the most senior yeah. um, senator there. But I believe there are other ways where sometimes it's the most junior senator that can also chair. Oh, okay. It's quite a complex set of yeah. um, of rules. But essentially, the the Senate are much more self governing. Okay. So they just sort it out between themselves. There's only a hundred of them. So Ed, what does a, a speaker actually do? 
So the role of speaker, as well as chair the meetings and be visibly the face of the House of Representatives, uh, they have a lot of important roles. So they help control the flow of legislation, so sort out what bills, what laws are going to be discussed and when they're, they're going to be discussed. Um, they recognise who can speak on the floor, so essentially who, who is allowed to speak and, and, and in what terms. So, so that's what recognising, so if say you, Congressman, are recognised, it means that they are allowed to speak at that point. Uh, they can create ad hoc committees, a smaller group of, um, of members of the House of Representatives to debate certain issues. They can give advice and assignments to conference and select committees, which are the big important committees that control the legislative proceedings. So they have a lot of influence over those. They can help assign bills to committees and um, votes in, in events of a tie over legislation. So essentially, a lot of their formal powers are over the legislation that com is coming through and the committee process that, um, that manages that process. So they don't control all of it, but they are very influential um, within there. So they have a good number of formal powers, but also it's the informal power they wield that is really significant. Uh, so the speaking could be a link between the other centres of, of powerful committee chairpersons within the House, um, and also they are they can there to mould and shape and control their own parties in trying to back legislations or, or debates. So the informal influence they exert is just as, as important as the formal powers they have. And Ed, how do uh, parties choose their nominee for uh, speakers um, and kind of what, what type of things is it based on? Um, for example, Nancy Pelosi, uh, she was, you know, it's quite often overlooked. She raised more than $1 billion since entering her tenure as speaker um, in 2002. $1 billion. So I think it's overlooked sometimes that these speakers are massive fundraisers for political candidates and their party. And I wonder what premise are these speakers, you know, kind of nominated on and elected by their party for? Absolutely. So th this is, um, th it's, it's done through a vote within the House of Representatives. So all of that, the members of the House of Representatives will vote and it will be whoever's got the majority, whatever party's got the majority, who will therefore get their speaker. Um, so also, I mean, it's like asking who becomes the leader of a political party, but it's almost that kind of role. It's they are the leader of that political party within the House of Representatives and within Congress. And that's why it's so important. Unlike the UK, where a speaker, once they become speaker, will stand down essentially from their party and the opposition parties will normally not put candidates against them in, in, in elections. In Congress, in the House of Representatives, the Speaker is the most mm. political position there is. And that is why it's such a big difference. Uh, and so we, we've got some historic um, speakers that have sometimes dominated. I mean, in the House of Representatives and in Congress, there was a long period of democratic rule, as, as in the Democratic Party. Okay, that they, they dominated for a lot in like the 70s and 80s. And you had some very powerful speakers like Thomas O'Neill in 1978 to 1986, who were, were seen to be very influential in managing that committee process and managing the flow of legislation through. Where we should go to, though, is then Nancy Pelosi, which you've just mentioned, mm. um, Jade, because she was um, 2007 to 2011. She was um, speaker. She was the first um, female speaker in history, a, a very prominent, therefore, politician. And then she was re-elected in 2019, all the way up until our current Congress, where we've had a, a new speaker. Okay, so that was a, a, a good example of a prominent um, yeah. speaker who was... Um, instrumental politically actually 
in yeah. getting the impeachment proceedings against Trump. Because yeah. if you're going to an impeachment president, which basically would remove them from office, uh, you need to start that in the House of Representatives and then it gets tried in the Senate. Well, that happened twice under Nancy Pelosi's kind of tenure. Okay. Ed, do you find uh, that speakers historically are um, spokespeople for the House of Representatives as a body, as a chamber, or do you find them more as spokespeople for their political party? And I, I would potentially argue that Nancy Pelosi has been both over the years. You know, I, I, um, I guess you guys remember the the tapes of her, you know, in that meeting with Trump and with uh, Chuck Schumer and Trump on those uh, on the over, in the Oval Office talking about you know trying to secure a budget you know she was almost like a spokesperson for a party there but in the past under obama's uh presidency i guess she's more of a spokesperson for the chamber and and for the house democrats you that is a very good point james and i think it is probably down to who is president mm. at the time and whether or not they they're opposed so in times of divided government you've got one party controlling the house of representatives um, and another, uh, the president being from a different party. That's what we currently have. At the moment, we've got the House of Representatives um, controlled by the Republican Party and the presidency controlled by the Democrats. And there, they are much, begin to be much more spokesman yeah. for the Republican Party against Absolutely. the president. Yeah. Because right now, it is the Speaker of the House of Representatives who is the most senior Republican politician until they get a nominee and a candidate for the next presidential election when the president will take over that kind of party leadership role. So that is why it's so significant. They, are, they can be leaders of their party. If we look at Nancy Pelosi under Biden, that was a very different story because both parties were controlling. Uh, so, so we had the presidency of the Democrats and the House representatives under the Democrats. And then Nancy Pelosi is much more of a liaison figure probably for the House um, representatives in terms of liaising with the White House to see what legislation they could go through. So I think it's a very good point, James. Mm. I think it probably depends on on the political situation. So we've just had the Republicans take over the House of Representatives with a majority of four, I believe, which means that the Speaker will now pass on to, has passed on to a Republican congressman. Um, Paul Ryan was the last Republican, I think, who was a Speaker, and he got in plain sailing i believe so why this is this is now in what, the news mm, why are we talking about it so this is what we're talking about this episode is a really quite a lengthy intro to what is the main point isn't it so what why is it being in the news um you're absolutely right this is the first time in over a hundred years that we've had um, a voting where it's not passed through on the first round of voting so what normally happens Republicans have won a majority, not a huge majority, but but a majority. Uh, they're going to vote. There is a, a there is, they've already sorted them out amongst themselves who's the likely candidate, so Kevin McCarthy, uh, and they would have a vote. Uh, the Democrats would vote for the Democrat candidate. They wouldn't get enough votes, and then the Republican candidate would get through. But he failed. McCarthy failed on fourteen rounds of voting. This is like unprecedented. So they at the moment there are. Uh, 218 votes that we've needed to get the majority in the House of Representatives. Uh, on the first round, he only got 203 votes, okay? And 212 went for Hakeem Jeffries, who is the most senior Democrat candidate, okay? So the Democrat candidate got more than the Republican mm. candidate. Doesn't mean the Democrat candidate is speaker at that point, though, because you need to get that overall uh, majority. Um, on the third round of vote, interestingly, it went down. Um, it actually went down to uh, 202, so they lost one. 
Okay, so this is a real danger. Um, and this is all down to this Freedom Caucus that was formed in the Republican Party. So 20 fairly you know, extreme on the right of the party Republicans, the type who are, who backed uh, a candidate, Jim Jordan, as their, as their candidate for speaker, even though this Jim Jordan had backed McCarthy because he'd been promised the chairmanship of the Judicial Committee by, by, by McCarthy. So basically McCarthy had seen that this potential rival offered him this, this plush job within the House of Representatives being chair of the speaker, had bought him off, but this Freedom Caucus was so anti-McCarthy, so anti that they that they piled in behind uh, a candidate who wasn't even standing. Why were they so anti-McCarthy when McCarthy has come out in support of Trump? It's a really good um, question, and we'll come back to Trump's role in in a in a little bit here because okay. what I think they are standing for is against the Republican establishment. So they see themselves that they're. A lot of what characterizes them is very uh, pro-Trump or what is increasingly um, called the Make America Great Again, you know, the, the MAGA Republicans. That, and I think that movement is maybe almost outgrowing and outliving Trump, the creator of this movement. Yeah. But they are very sort of pro-Trump or the idea of Trump and making America great again. And there were also many of them outright deniers of Biden's last victory, election victory. Hasn't Kevin McCarthy come out and um, denied the election in a similar way to the Freedom Caucus? He, I believe that there were some, um, some times when he did say that. Uh, but equally, I think it's probably a question of him playing both sides of the party. And, and more recently, as he's be, you know, become the, the speaker candidate, he's probably distances himself from those denials. So what some Republicans will say is that, ah, well, there do so, seem to be some irregularities in, in the voting without coming out and saying it was stolen from Trump. Yeah. So, so he, he plays it a bit more safely, whereas these Freedom um, Caucus uh, are very much down that sort of oh no it was all rigged it was it was stolen why are they doing that I suspect for publicity and to show that their voters back home that you know that in terms of their districts that they are standing up for them against the Republican establishment and against and remember make America great again Trump's big thing in 2016 was drain the swamp mm. get rid you know and it's corrupt and think as well what happened at the end of Trump's presidency the storming of the Capitol by his Trump supporters where this is all happening. So they are aligning themselves essentially with those storming, maybe not explicitly and outrightly saying, you know, they did a good thing, but they are kind of aligning themselves politically with that political movement, that, that movement that's so pro-Trump and anti the establishment. So while the, uh, the votes are failing every single round for Kevin McCarthy, how's he reacting? Is he panicking? Yeah, that is a really interesting point. So what McCarthy first did um, when he was candidate, was move his things into the vacated office that, that Nancy Pelosi had gone out. So he moved his stuff in, but he hadn't actually been elected speaker yet. Um, I rate um, that. That's a, kind of, that's a kind of Wilder-esque move, I must say. Fair play to the boy. I, 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 I thought you'd like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, and there's so much drama on this. So McCarthy finally won the 15th ballot, but on the 14th ballot, 
Florida's Matt Gates, a ring leader of the Never Kevin, so that it might be the Freedom Caucus, but they were calling themselves the Never, Never Kevins. Kevin. <laughs> um, he abstained at the last minute, and one of the uh, grand old party, more moderate Republicans, had to be physically restrained by his colleagues <laughs> from going over to, to, to presumably hit, hit him. Uh, we had um, Richard Hunson, Hudson, another um, congressman, manhandled Mike Rogers within the chamber wow. over, over this issue. Um, and uh, this pol other politician, um, who is anti-Kevin McCarthy, called um, Getz, I think that's how you pronounce his surname, had actually um, written to the architect of the US Capitol. Now, the architect is not the one drawing up the building plans. It's like an old position where they basically handle the office space and the human resource element of, of the Capitol and keep things running. And he, um, he wrote to him saying, how long will he remain there before he's considered a squatter? And <laughs> have to physically remove him. Um, so they did get through um, what is interesting thing though is um, actual Trump's involvement in this. Um, so I mean, what, so they're, they're very much these people align themselves with Trump. Okay, one of them, another candidate called Ralph Norman, had asked Trump to declare martial law to stop Biden from becoming president. That is how much of a Trump supporter and you know uh, thinking the election was rigged. Good old Ralph. Yeah. Wow. But the problem is now. Trump is actually struggling to, to rein them in. Yeah. Because what Trump didn't want is this dragging on. He needs, if he's going to run again as president, he needs the Republicans in control of the House of Representatives and, and keeping the show going. So he was starting to um, back McCarthy, okay? Um, so he, like McCarthy had been, did quite a lot of work trying to bring Trump back into the main Republican fold. Um, so what um, McCarthy had been doing is channeling funding to some of these, as you mentioned earlier, James, how much money that the, the speakers can, can raise. And so McCarthy had raised all this money and was backing, putting some of this money from the Republican funds into these Trump-supporting candidates, the Freedom Caucus, thinking he would buy them off. But he didn't, of course. He, he, he backed them. They won their seats. And then they were now like, well, brilliant. Well, we're not voting for you now. We're voting for Trump. So Trump, on his truth social platform, which is what he's on account. ever since uh, <laughs> <laughs> on what he was in ever since he got booted off Twitter. Although I think maybe they're, they're he's putting back him now, he's he? back, yeah, now. back now. But he, he tweeted or truth socialed, vote for Kevin, close the deal, take the victory. Um, but uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was photographed handling a phone with DT on the screen. In other words, this is a phone call from Donald Trump um, and giving it to a rebel and the rebel just waved it away. So it's showing that maybe Trump is losing his hold over this mug, these mugger, uh, sorry, MAGA Republicans, the Make America Great Again um, Republicans. So it's a really interesting um, episode. So why did this group of rebels eventually give in? Why did they vote for McCarthy? Essentially, McCarthy, he did vote, vote on the, win on the 15th round, but he's now going to be probably a very weak speaker. And it's one that we're going to see. Why? Because he's had to make so many concessions to these rebels. So they were keeping holding out. Uh, so what he did, first of all, is he's, he's caved into their demands. He lowered the number of votes needed to force a vote on the speaker from a majority of House representatives from five to one. So that means within the Republicans in the House of Representatives, if they held a vote on whether or not he should remain speaker, they only need a majority of one instead of a majority of five to boot him out. So that weakens him. 
He's also offered places to make America great again Republicans on committee that debates legislation before it even reaches the floor. So essentially, he's potentially giving them not maybe a veto, but a lot of influence over what legislation is going to pass through. And it's going to make him very, very difficult to reach, for example, any compromises with the uh, Biden administration. He's also allowed uh, people like uh, George Santos on uh, committees. Obviously, George Santos is under investigation by the Ethics Committee currently. Um, and obviously, you know, he originally did allow George Santos on committee, on a committee, I think quite a powerful one as well. Um, however, George Santos has recently resigned. But it just demonstrates there, as you said, Ed, his kind of lack of uh, control over his own, you know, house, his own representatives. And, um, you know, to, to have to kind of cave into those demands that obviously he gave a lot of these people during the election of, of his speakership. Um, yeah. And I, and I guess that just de further demonstrates his weakness as a speaker. And I think from what many of our listeners will be probably almost bored of studying now as it comes up so much in American politics, polarisation and, and this idea of not getting anything through Congress. And that is surely only going to increase because McCarthy is going to have to block any sort of democratic legislation to keep face with his own side and keep the, these mm. um, th these happy and that means that any potential compromise or deals he might want to be straight with because they do despite all the polarization meaning that you've got republicans versus democrats they do try part of the job is striking deals so they can get funding for the causes they want and reaching some sort of agreement and i think that is going to be made very difficult before the next presidential election now i think i heard a political commentator um say that the Freedom Caucus may as well have taken Kevin McCarthy's coat, put it on, and then driven his car home. <laughs> what do you think are the implications for not so much Trump, but the Republican Party? Because if this were to happen in Britain, and we've seen the ramifications of a, of a torn Conservative Party, if they're in a position where they're holding the House of Representatives and they can't get anything done and they can't agree, do you think that will get through to the potential voters in 2024? I think that's a really interesting question. I think that is absolutely the, to use an American phrase, the billion dollar question, isn't it? Because if the Republicans, it's fine Republicans blocking democratic legislation, I think, as long as they are united themselves, because then the votes get sent, oh, the Republicans, this is what their, their platform, and they're uniting behind their candidate. If though they end up seeing lots of infighting between the various strands of the Republicans is going to be make it more difficult for the potential candidates for, for the American um, election. And if uh, and who would then get the blame for that infighting? Would the blame be on a potential Trump rerun? Would it be on any of these MAGA Republicans? It, it is, it's going to be very interesting to see. In, in short, I have absolutely no idea, hmm. but it'll be very interesting to see. Can I just ask Ed as well, maybe my final question really, um, about how the speaker as a role, like do uh, people use that as a, as a kind of platform for bigger, uh, you know, kind of career progression? Um, or does it usually go to those more experienced and kind of uh, have a kind of, you know, name recognition within the party already and a kind of like a, a seniorship amongst the party? Like what kind of, you know, with, with Paul Ryan, for example, it was used as a platform to then go on and run as VP. 
for um, Mike Pence, uh, for not Mike Pence, for um, Mitt Romney. Uh, whereas for Nancy Pelosi, it was more of like she was a very senior Democratic yeah. politician and therefore was given that role because of that. Like it wasn't meant for her career progression, if you see what I mean. So I wonder, you know, that as a role, you know, historically, has it been used as a, as a kind of springboard or has it been used as more of a looking after of the party and the House of Representatives? That is a good question that I don't actually have an immediate answer to. Maybe some of our listeners can yeah. write in with, with these. I, I think uh, it probably absolutely depends on the candidate, as you say. I don't think to, I, I'm aware of any speaker then going yeah. to become president. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there might be, though, in the long history of American politics, some who uh, maybe tried to be a candidate and just didn't get anywhere. I, I think, as well, it is such a high-profile senior role mm. in of itself that perhaps it is often seen as a, you know, a, an end destination in of itself, but also maybe one we've got to make compromises with your own party sometimes to get legislation due. And then it's probably the sort of role that can also dent your popularity, some of the base. Whereas people who are maybe stay out of those kind of deal making as a senator or as another, or you know, as a governor, for example, can come in with maybe more of a clean slate that kind of appeals to all sections of the party. I'm saying that as an idea. I've not necessarily yeah, yeah. got no, really interested. With it with so we anything. shouldn't expect a Kevin McCarthy campaign in yeah. 2028. Do you know um, I'm not sure if I'm going to make a wager on it yet. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> well, thank you very much. You've been listening to Politics, the home of short updates on contemporary politics. Thank you to my co-hosts, James and Johnny. Thank you to our producer, Johnny Langton. This Ooh. is the St. Bart's Politics Department production. Yes, Ooh. have it. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>